and welcome to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, kauri die back. The disease that's killing New Zealand's kauri trees is spreading, despite a nine-year campaign to control it. The Auckland Council in the next week will vote on whether to close the Waitakere Ranges Regional Park to the public to stop the spread of kauri dieback. And in Northland, the insidious pathogen is creeping ever closer to our noblest kauri, such as Tane Mahuta. Are we losing the battle? to save our forest giants. This kauri here that's just in front of us and now so that would be four feet around that tree that's died this year but that tree had leaves on it when I was in here six months ago. On his green and pleasant hill farm south of Dargaville Jake Smith is surveying what used to be a fine stand of kauri. Five generations ago, his great-great-grandfather chopped down a Cody forest whose towering trunks could be seen 50 kilometres away. He and his dad Clive had been trying to save the remnant, but the death toll is mounting. There's a sense of kind of panic because these trees can't run away from the condition. A 400-year, 1,000-year life of a tree, in 18 months it's all gone. Boom. You stand here in the bush... You hear the birds, it's completely silent, apart from those birds, and yet these great giants are are like dead men walking. And landowners are not alone in their sense of despair. Scientists share it. Dr Nick Waipara has been studying Cody dieback for more than a decade. He's considered a leading authority on the disease. A lot of my work has been around Tamakim Kauru in Auckland forests, and I was up in Northland also doing some work and I really looked around Waipoa and I was absolutely saddened, stunned and shocked at the look of the forest to me. And this is a national treasure. And to me, seeing those dead and dying uh, taonga trees, they are magnificent in their glory, succumbing made me sick to my stomach. I just couldn't believe it. Since Kauri dieback was found in the Waitakere Regional Park 10 years ago, the Auckland Council has thrown a variety of resources at it. And in 2014, the government put $26 million into a national programme to research and control it. But the fungus is still killing Kauri from Bay of Plenty to the far north, and its assault is gathering speed. I'm Lois Williams, and Insight This Week investigates why. So here is... A tree that has died. As you look up, there isn't a single leaf on that tree. For years, no one was quite sure where Cody dieback came from. It's a type of Phytophthora, a soil-borne fungal disease like the one that infects the roots of avocado trees, but it's a type that's new to science. And it's been classified with a suitably ugly name, Phytophthora agathodicida, Cody killer. In 2007, it was identified as the organism that was killing a stand of Cody at Piha. Jack Craw was the biosecurity manager at the Auckland Regional Council at the time, and he has his theories about its origins. It is believed that the disease came here in infected agatha species brought across from the Pacific. We believe the Forest Service in the late early 1950s because the disease has been traced back to the Waipawa Forest Service Nursery, where the disease is still present today. The thought was that... um, other agatha species could be used for commercial uh, harvesting purposes. And, of course, um, 
the Forest Service was also um, attempting to do the same thing with, with kauri, our, our native kauri. That, that's how it was discovered that the disease had come from Waipawa because the first record of um, kauri dieback was actually in those kauri on Great Barrier that were planted kauri that had come from the Waipawa nursery. Those theories are common. Even the official Kauri dieback website suggests the pathogen came from overseas, but most scientists now believe it's always been here in Aotearoa. Dr Peter DeLang is a taxonomist, a scientist who classifies organisms. For 27 years, he was the principal research scientist for the Department of Conservation. He says Kauri dieback was first recorded in the Waitakere Ranges in 1954, no one took much notice until 10 years ago when it popped up at Piha. Dr Ross Beaver, who, is, uh, who was uh, probably the only person in the country who had an understanding of Phytophthora and worked for the former DSR Botany Division Land Care Research, was looking into its taxonomy. And Ross had picked up information that suggested very strongly that this Phytophthora was in fact an endemic disease. And sadly Ross died and I think that's where we've had a few problems. And uh, it took another, well, it was described in 2015, so basically about another four to five years for the actual enemy to be understood from a taxonomic level, and that is, in fact, it didn't come from Malaysia like the public had been told. The Forestry Service were not responsible for introducing it into the country. It was, in fact, an endemic disease. True, it's related to a group of allied Phytophthora that attack Agathus throughout the, the range of Agathus, the, the Kauri relatives, but uh, it's endemic. So if the Kauri killer's been lurking in our soils forever, why is it only now that it's spreading across the land? Dr DeLang says the answer is pigs, possums and people. We don't know what moa and adzbulls and things might have done in the past, but Either way, we now have a whole raft of introduced animals that are very effective at spreading it, and probably the worst one is humans. And I think that, more than anything else, is why Kauri dieback is now such a serious issue. Once the disease was identified, the Auckland Regional Council surveyed its regional parks and found to its dismay that Kauri dieback was common in Titirangi and the Waitakere Ranges. Jack Craw ran the council's anti-dieback programme from 2009 to 2014. He put pig hunters on the payroll and, as he describes it, turned them into eco-warriors. The data we got out of Auckland University, who were, we had a couple of PhD people on the job there, and they determined that although we were only getting pig numbers down to around about 30% of the initial numbers, in other words we had about 70% control, we actually had ground disturbance fall to about 5 to 10%. So even though we only got pig numbers down to 30%, we got uh, pig disturbance down to 5%. And, of course, that's the most important thing. You know, actual total pig numbers aren't important. What is important is what kind of disturbance are they causing because the disturbance is what spreads the disease. And it was found that when you get pig numbers down, the forest recovers, a whole lot of new plants come up, and the pigs switch from being from rooting and getting their nutrient from, from underground to browsing the tops of the new growth, which is great for carry dieback. So... Uh, maintaining that program in the Waitakere Ranges was about $130,000 a year. For that, we were dealing with 95% of the pig vector issue, so uh, it was definitely money worth spending. 
Jack Craw also ordered aerial surveys of the forest canopy to locate the dying trees. And that was followed by what's called ground truthing, in lay terms, sending in ground teams, finding the sick trees and soil testing for Cody dieback. I had a, a contracted developer aerial surveillance methodology that was really, really accurate using um, helicopter. And uh, the, the photographic records were all digitised and so, and connected to GPS so the, we could send our ground truthing teams back in and they'd find those trees um, to within two or three metres. So you could always find those trees. So the whole exercise of um, determining where the disease was only cost $24,000 for the aerial work and $29,000 for the ground treading, which is extremely inexpensive for 16,000 hectares of um, primeval forest. And it's that data that's enabled today's Auckland Council to confirm that the rate of Cody dieback in the Waitakere Ranges has more than doubled in five years. The Cody dieback report 2017 makes for grim reading. Five years ago, about 8% of the ranges was infected. Today, it's about 19%. And worse, of the significant Cody areas, that's blocks of five hectares or more, more than half have Cody dieback symptoms. Even in the 13 Cody protection zones, where the council closed the tracks, four are showing signs of infection. And in most cases, the sick trees are within 50 metres of a track. Nick Waipara says it doesn't take a science degree to see who's spreading Cody dieback. One of the basic understandings we do know um, is that it is soil borne and it moves on people's shoes and it moves on people's tyres and um, it is absolutely spread and vectored as we call it by human activity and so we really have to look at how we are accessing all kauri forests in New Zealand at the moment both to protect the ones that are still disease free, how do we stop it entering those forests through human assisted activity. Humans are moving around our Cody forests with dirty shoes. The Auckland Council has boot cleaning stations on its tracks and signs telling people why they need to use them. But Jack Craw says right from the start, many people simply ignored them. My staff did quite a lot of work on um, basically market segmentation, looking at who were abiding by the rules and who were not. And it was very interesting. Uh, tourists are wonderful. They all, the, the tourists read the sign. It doesn't matter what country they come from. They seem to read the signs and do what's recommended. All the uh, commercial operators that operate in the, in the ranges, like canyoning and um, hiking, and they all behave really well because they know that their concession uh, depends upon it. They have really tough rules, and all the people that, that they take in and out of the forest obey the rules. Our biggest problem really was dog walkers, runners... And depressingly, locals, um, a lot of local people who walk through the, the bush, uh, they love the bush, of course, they walk through it for that reason. But I guess human nature being what it is, a lot of people just get sick of doing the phytosanitary stuff and after six or seven times then maybe they skip one or two and, and after a while they stop, they stop doing it. It's a behaviour that infuriates Mel's Barton. She's the chair of the New Zealand Tree Council. She lives in Titarangi and she's an ambassador for the Cody Rescue Programme. But Dr Barton says many track walkers just don't want to know about Cody dieback. Um, I know it because I see, I see, see it with my own eyes um, and I hear the excuses of, you know, it's pigs, possums, dogs, it's not me. Um, I was at Kakamatua with my dogs the other day at the cleaning station cleaning our shoes and someone came with a buggy and a, and, and a friend and they were just about to walk past and I asked them if they would please clean their shoes and she argued with me. 
as to why it wasn't necessary for her to do that. Um, you know, the time that she spent arguing with me, she could have cleaned her shoes twice. She did do it in the end, but, you know, it, it, there's just any excuse not to be bothered spending 30 seconds doing that. Mel's Barton says the Auckland Council, though, is also to blame for the rampant spread of Cody dieback. She says the council's failed to invest in its track network and many trails have turned to mud, the perfect medium for the disease spores. And she calls the cleaning stations a joke. It really is all just about the money. Those cleaning stations are pointless, quite frankly. Uh, you know, the, the crate ones where it's just a brush and a, and a spray bottle... You're wobbling around on, on a single foot with nothing to hold on to most of the time, trying to clean mud off your boots, which may be ankle deep. So that in itself is almost completely pointless because you're never going to get the mud off. And it is the getting of the mud off that it is so important. A quick spray and walk away achieves absolutely nothing. If you've left mud on your boots, those spores are in that mud and they'll stay in that mud forever. And you'll be walking that dried mud 10 years later to another forest and it will still be infecting kauri trees. So it's the cleaning that is so important, not the spraying. I, I actually wish they'd take the spray bottles and fill them with water and tell everybody it's water for cleaning their shoes because at the moment people think that's some magic bullet that they just have to spray their boots with and that's it, job done. It isn't. It, it's not achieving anything if you're spraying it on top of dirt. Dr Waipala says nature lovers are even flouting the rules about closed tracks. And some, including geocachers, deliberately go off track in pursuit of their sport. We closed areas of the Waitakere Ranges to protect healthy kauri systems and we're seeing people using closed tracks. On one track, 5,000 people so determined that they knew best and were walking through an area that was shut. Now they are going to be vectoring that disease further into that healthy stand. So this is our problem in that we are seeing a decline in the effectiveness of this programme to control the disease. And that is, this is where I say he tangata, he tangata, he tangata. The people, the people moving this pathogen are critical. So we are seeing the programme go backwards in some of our forests because the forests are more diseased than ever. As a kauri dies, it weeps gum. And that music is the sound equivalent of a dying kauri. The electronic musician Tom Cosm created the piece using digital alchemy to convert video of the bleeding kauri gum to musical notes. When a kauri dies in Waipoa Forest in Northland, tangata whenua say a little of their health dies with it. Sonny Nesbitt, the chairman of Te Roroa, the local iwi, explains. I suppose I can say it, I can say it in English, and I can say it in Māori, you know, um, we are the Ngāhere, the Ngāhere is us. And if you look into the meaning behind that, is, is what happens to the Ngāhere happens to us. What happens to us happens to the Ngāhere. It's like saying the, the, the rivers are us and we are the river. The Northland Kauri Sanctuary, run by the Department of Conservation, or DOC, is a tourist magnet. Hundreds, sometimes thousands of people a day in summer, go to Waipoa to gaze up in awe at the Rākau Rangatira, the noble trees, the huge ones like Tāni Mahuta, which predate the birth of Christ. To get to Tani these days, you have to file through an elaborate shoe-cleaning contraption, brush your boots and walk over a foot pad that squirts them with disinfectant. 
Teroroa ambassadors stand near the big trees to talk to visitors and make sure they stay on the boardwalks. But on the day I visit with the iwi's operations manager, Snow Tani, we spot fresh graffiti carved into one kauri. And he's just heard from a bus driver that more than 100 tourists have trooped into the forest to meditate. Now I know about this group that's been coming in here, but what it is, it's uh, a Korean group. They, they meditate in the forest. I have these big places over in Kirikiri where they stay, and then they bring them over here. They don't have a concession to be in here. If you're earning money off a, um, uh, off a group that's in here, then you need a concession. Okay. So there's quite a lot of this sort of thing going on, is there? Yeah. Okay. And there's no real compliance uh, sort of measures in place. Nobody's really in charge of keeping them out or making yeah, them pay. Yeah, they dock, dock are. But, but they're so thinly spread. A lot of these trees are infected. So this one here has been dead for a while. And Drive the road that bisects Waipoa Forest and you see them everywhere. Dead Cody, their bleached arms reaching for the sky. Snow Tani says one of the biggest threats to the trees are the freedom campers who try to park up in laybys along the road and go for nice private bushwalks. Freedom campers go in there and then they try and stay there overnight and then they, they gap it into the bush and um, we've got our own security team that we resource and fund ourselves because we know that central government will give us no support but we're, we're trying to keep the forest alive so our security guy goes up and down the road each night. Not so much during winter but now the busy season's on us He'll do his tricks up here uh, and then he'll pull anyone that's in the layways, he'll, he'll move them on. Do people object when that happens? Oh, you get the odd person that says this is a, um, you know, this is a public uh, conservation land, they have every right to be there. Uh, it's all about education. Like I've had one guy say to me, I said, oh, you can't be in there, this area is contaminated with. Cody Dybank, and he pretty much told me I didn't know what I was talking about. So Snow Tane says it's costing Te Roroa to move the Freedom Campers on. Elders worry that Cody Dybank is tightening its grip on the Ngahere. They wonder if the forest should be closed, left alone to heal itself. Sonny Nesbitt says his people would like a clear steer from Doc and the scientists on whether the disease is spreading, but he says they're not getting that. I don't think it's actually more and more getting worse and worse and worse. It's just that we're finding more and more and more and more. But, you know, what does the research say? Does the research say that's what we need to do? We're not getting anything back from the research except uh, mitigation measures. All that research and money that's gone into research, there's still no answers. But here's a mitigation process so that we can still go ahead and, 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 and uh, collect the, the tourism dollars. Unlike the Auckland Council with its Waitakere data, Doc doesn't know if Cody dieback's getting worse in Waipoa. I asked Doc's northern regional manager, Sue Reed Thomas, what data Doc has on the dying tree numbers. So I haven't got any good data on that for you, uh, Lois. Um, I would say that we uh, continue to identify... Uh, trees and uh, through MPI conducted some aerial survey and we've got to follow up to ground truth them. 
That aerial survey was done last year. We've just got some of that data earlier this year to um, follow up on. It's a gap in research that alarms scientists like Nick Waipara. He says the fact that the Cody dieback has not been closely monitored in a place as important as Waipoa indicates the national program is something of a shambles. Well, this is the problem with the lack of knowledge. We're having all sorts of uh, areas and agencies and people and communities trying their best to fight this organism. I'm really worried that we don't have that knowledge ten years later. And I put that squarely on the lack of decent research being delivered on the ground to people trying to manage the disease. And it makes me sick to my stomach that we are seeing these forests decline and absolutely, as we've seen in the Waitakere's, entire stands now being infected. And I'm sorry, ten years is enough time to have got some of those basic answers out. And there appears to be another gap. Dr Waipara says scientists aren't even sure that the disinfectants used in Doc's new shoe cleaning stations actually work. The uh, current disinfectant we're using called Sterogene, we do know kills some parts of the uh, Kauridap dibat life cycle, but we don't know how effectively it kills the, the oospore or the soil-borne spore. That's a basic piece of research we need to know before we see all these new designs of cleaning stations being put out into the forest. Do we know it works? But Sue Reid Thomas says Doc has invested heavily in protecting the iconic trees in Waipoa from Cody dieback. Doc's had the lion's share of the government funding granted for the programme in 2014. That's $21 million over four years. So far, it's spent only a quarter of that, mainly on track upgrades and boardwalks and those state-of-the-art cleaning stations. Ms Reid Thomas says the work did get off to a slow start, but for good reason. She says Doc had to first figure out how to do the job without increasing the risk to Cody on tracks from Bay of Plenty to the far north. If you're building boardwalks, how do you build those without moving the earth? Um, how do you get that gravel into a, um, into a site with confidence that you haven't brought Cody die back in and if you're treating everything as infected, what do you do with it if you have things left over? So there's been a lot of particularly in the early year, thinking about how we would go about that and building the suite of contractors who were able to do that work. The lead agency in the Cody Dieback Management Programme is the Ministry for Primary Industries and it's rejecting suggestions that it's dropped the ball. Its governance group for the project includes DOC, councils in the affected areas and IWI. And its pest management spokesman, John Sanson, says decisions on funding for research and prevention measures have been made collectively. He says while Cody dieback has spread in the Waitakere Ranges, Aucklanders can take comfort from the fact that it hasn't infected the Hunuas. It is challenging to prevent a sort of further ongoing spread, primarily by you know uh, activity of people walking through that area. But you know, I'd like to think that we're being reasonably effective at, at uh, being able to prevent those big jumps of the disease to, to new areas. You know, in the Auckland region, for example, the Hanua Ranges, uh, you know, surveillance monitoring work to date has not identified the disease in that area at all. So I think you know there are sort of the balancing arguments around you know there's some positive news coming out of all of this and the efforts to date. But for the kaitiaki of the Waitakere forests, that is no consolation. Te Kaurau Amaki are a small iwi, but they've taken the big step of placing arahui over their ngahere. They're asking people to stay out of the forest until the council's managed to make its tracks dry and safe and found a way to convince people to clean their shoes. 
The Erie spokesman, Edward Ashby, says the council's efforts to protect the forest have failed and urgent action is needed. The compliance rates of, of the current methods in terms of hygiene are dropping, people uh, walking around, ignoring uh, hygiene stations. What we are proposing is close it down, keep it safe, then we undertake a programme to assess the risk, identify um, what we can do, uh, get the support funding management mechanisms in place to make it safe. Once the threat's neutralised or controlled, then we open that part of it. Edward Ashby says Te Kauarau Amaki are asking the Auckland Council to back the Rahui with formal closure notices under the Biosecurity Act. But the Environmental Committee Chair, Penny Hulse, says closing the entire regional park presents enormous practical challenges. You know, we work with our, our local iwi on beach closures, on a rahui on a beach when someone drowns there. And, you know, sadly, even those rahui, they only have about an 80% adherence and, and respect. The closure of, of the Waitakere Ranges is a huge undertaking and part of the discussion needs to be, you know, do we pour all our money into barriers and, and guards and people and fences or do we spend that money on treatment of the trees, rebuilding tracks and directing people away from the sensitive areas? If there's one ray of hope on the horizon for Cody, it's the phosphite trials being carried out by plant and food scientist Ian Horner. Dr Horner stresses phosphite is not a cure, but he has shown that injecting kauri with the common fertiliser allows them to heal in the same way it works with avocado trees. Yeah, five years ago we started treating these trees. They were all showing symptoms of kauri dieback at the start and what we found is that where we treated trees with the phosphite, the awful bleeding lesions that you get around the base of the trees that eventually girdle the trees and kill them, that they just stopped growing, healed up, and the bark peeled back, and in many cases there was healthy bark beneath. It's almost uh, like magic, really, isn't it? It, it? it is almost like magic. It's a very impressive result when you see it happen. Ian Horner says given those trial results, phosphite could now be used to save trees in regional parks and dock forests. But he says injecting thousands of sick trees would be extremely labour-intensive, although the chemical itself is cheap. Dr Horner's extended the trial to include private landowners and he now has about 30 injecting trees on their properties and keeping careful records. Kaipara farmer Jake Smith is one of them. Last week his Cody rescue kit arrived from plant and food research and he injected his first dying Cody. Here we go. Here's a hole under the tag. All right, I, right now I'm feeling um, that something tangible has been done and that I, I'm looking at this poor tree with all these needles sticking out of it and I'm thinking it looks like a Frankenstein experiment but as we revealed with this tree we just thought it was a sick tree here today and it's actually much sicker than we thought once we actually scratched beneath the surface of the bark and so there's not a moment to be lost I just I, I can't believe this it's like so exciting I could cry yeah it's really awesome the Conservation Minister, Eugenie Sage, says the spread of kauri dieback is extremely worrying and Doc may need to close more tracks to protect the trees. 
I think the key issue with the Kauri Dieback Programme is the need to have another look at the whole project governance and project management and ensure that there is much more science uh, feeding into uh, the project. At the moment with Myrtle Rust there's a technical advisory group. My understanding is that there's no equivalent technical advisory group for the Kauri Dieback Programme. We need that so that good science is informing the work that's being done on the ground. The Auckland Council will vote this Tuesday on whether to back the Rahui and close the Waitakere Ranges Regional Park to the public. I'm Lois Williams and that's Insight for this week. You can share and podcast this and other insights from rnz.co.nz forward slash insight or head to iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. That programme was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Phil Benj. If you'd like to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. You can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. And thanks for listening.